Civil Sentinel Podcast. The Civil Sentinel Podcast is brought to you by Zavala1836.com. That's Z-A-V-A-L-A-1836.com. If you like all things tactical apparel and stickers, head on over, check it out. It supports the podcast. What's up, guys? What's going on? Yo, how you guys doing tonight? No, it's a good night. I had, yeah, I, with deer that I hunted for my own property, we made homemade chili mac tonight with cornbread. Oh, man. That sounds was, good. It sounds delicious. delicious. I just uh, finished up some. Actually, dude, I think it just happens this way, but I'm pretty sure almost might be every podcast we've done. I've had fish tacos before doing the podcast. Nice. And it's just doesn't matter what night we do it. It's just fish tacos happen to be podcast night. And I spear fish and everything. I got a freezer full of fish. Sometimes it's fresh. Sometimes I pull a vacuum sealed bag of fish out. But hell yeah. Uh, yeah, I did that again tonight. It's freaking delicious. Nice. Well, I had a uh, rotisserie chicken. Uh, you know, we had a, a baby two weeks ago and uh, our church group's still bringing us meals every other few days. So uh, that's awesome. Somebody brought us a rotisserie chicken and some homemade croissants and grubbing that down. Awesome. Man. Rotisserie chickens are the bomb, but they're starting to get expensive. Yeah, no doubt. They really are. Good stuff. And then I'm... Uh, I'm drinking a uh, spicy water is what we call it. It's, it's just sparkling water, you know, like Topo Chico or Waterloo. Oh, uh, <laughs> I was like, what? I was like, but, uh, are you drinking straight vodka right now? <laughs> so my, my daughter, my uh, three-year-old daughter, will will give her water and she goes, ooh, spicy, because I think it's the bubbles. <laughs> so it, it just stuck in our household. We call it spicy water. And so like, you know, my parents come over, hey, you got any spicy waters? Like, it just kind of uh, became a tagline for the drink kind of funny that was pretty funny when i was a kid i used to call like uh i used to love sun kiss and i'd call it fire water fire water <laughs> fire water awesome. yeah sun kissed is the bomb though mm-hmm. uh that is that is some good stuff i'm drinking some even better stuff right now though i've got a freshly poured guinness i am drinking tap water from a walmart cup <laughs> nice it's the most american thing i've ever heard <laughs> i'm trying to I'm trying to be big and strong <laughs> over here that's the government's chemicals in the water can't kill me nothing can right fluoride and chlorine so tonight we got uh jeremy from uh everyday citizens tactical howdy uh, and then as always we got tito florida man outdoor and uh, I'm, jake. I'm jake uh, my page is civil sentinel and we're going to continue the comms discussion tonight. We're going to keep it a little bit centered around uh, more of a practical use of comms and uh, use of comms in the field and um, kind of discuss a little bit of Jeremy's experience as a Marine uh, using comms and he's doing some training and he's programming some uh, XTS radios and they're using those on the ground. And uh, let's get, get a little bit practical. Uh, talk about the, I don't know if we should say the, the why or the what, but hands-on use. Yeah, the I would say like it. the just the small unit application would be an even more better term probably for the general conversation we're going to have. Let's start off. Uh, tell us a little bit about yourself. Uh, who are you? Uh, how'd you get into comms? How long you been in the comms? What's your background? So my name is Jeremy. Uh, I'm the founder of Everyday Citizens Tactical. 
Uh, right now, I am a firefighter. Uh, but before that, I was in the Marine Corps. Went into the Marine Corps straight out of high school. My original MOS, I was a field radio operator. And after a very short period of time, uh, I was very bored as a field radio operator. Not that I did not like radio and comm skills. I just uh, wanted more of the excitement, we'll say. So eventually, um, in any way possible, I was able to get out of my unit and I went on to the embassy security program. And I spent my first year on the embassy security program stationed in West Africa and Cote d'Ivoire. Then I went to MSOL, the Marine Security Augmentation Unit, uh, which is detachments of embassy security Marines out of Quantico. And essentially their job is to just provide extra layers of security to different embassies and diplomatic compounds around the world, whether that be uh, through, um, you know, larger uh, units as like a show of force at embassies that may be seeing riots or destabilization of country um, or providing more static security for VIP events or type one, two and three, which is president, vice president and secretary of state. Um, or going to embassies and reviewing their security plans. Um, so I got to travel a little bit more those last couple of years when I was with MSOL. Um, really, a lot of my comms knowledge starts back, obviously, when I was a field radio operator, um, which I was doing all types of stuff that I really, I really didn't understand. I knew how to turn things on, program them, and make them work based on the notes that I was given from, you know, I hires, but like I didn't understand how comms work or why it was working the way that it did. I just knew when I set up antennas and I programmed radios and I put things in certain positions that this was just how it's going to work. Um, as I moved towards the embassy security side, we were really more just focused on portables. Um, so, you know, Motorola's, Kenwood's, so on and so forth. And my comms knowledge really didn't start to kind of resurface until probably about six months ago at this point. Um, really through discovering comms and logistics page, he was the first one I really saw that was pushing like kind of the advancement in civilian comms outside of, you know, Baofeng's and basic ham radios. Um, before that, you know, from the time I got out of the Marine Corps in 2020 until, you know, fall of last year, you know, I was rocking thousands of dollars in kit and rifle and all that, but I was still rocking a Baofeng, which and all my local guys were. And we were, you know, just running on MERS channels on Baofengs. And then we switched over to Motorola's. We're into digital now on P25. We're working encryption. You know, we're working on a few uh, other projects that aids the civilian small unit team, which I'm sure we'll get into here in a little bit. But, I mean, that's... That's really, uh, that's it outside of you and old Florida man here. Cause you guys have been helping me out a lot recently. You know, my main mentor, as far as getting back into comms in the civilian side goes to comms and logistics. Well, we can, uh, both Tito and I can both say that he's been a mentor to us in some aspects as well. He's had a very large influence on the comms community on Instagram and quite eager to share what he's doing and what he knows and, Comms and logistics, tip our hats to you. Thank you for all your hard work. Uh, we're all learning. Yeah, from you. yeah I can. I I, I uh, attest to the same there. You know, without 
his help with uh, the things I've been doing with the Motorola's uh, and the P25 radios, I wouldn't be where I'm at today. You know, trying to find out how to learn about this stuff is very hard to do. There's very little information out there. And that's why once I got to a point with my understanding of the subject matter that I was like, okay, maybe it's time that I also make a page that I can start, you know, uh, getting out there and, and helping propagate that information to more people like Jeremy or, you know, anyone else who needs it. You know, my inbox, I always tell people the inbox is always open. Shoot me a message. I try to respond to everybody. Life's busy. It might take me a, a day or a few hours to get back to you, but I get back to almost everyone except for the bots. <laughs> yeah, you've, you've definitely helped me with a bunch of stuff too. And your YouTube videos are, are helpful too. I need to get some more of those out. <laughs> I recorded one about, uh, setting up a KFD shield and key loading uh, the Motorola radios. And then I went to trim it down and edit it and post it the other day. And I realized that it recorded with my uh, laptop mic and sounds like hot garbage. Uh. So I, I might re-record that after the podcast, actually. And I should have it up in a couple days. It sucks that... There's so much that we, you know, you, I, civil, you know, all of us do on a normal basis with comms that we're just like, we can't openly share. And we've kind of talked about that in the big comms chat. There's some stuff that we're just not allowed to share, which like openly, like we can share it, you know, to individuals, but like we can't figure it. We can't put up a video on how to use DPS on YouTube because big Motorola will get angry. Yeah, there's yeah. a few other topics there, too. It's fr- it's fringe. It's kind of it. it uh I guess you could almost say it's kind of mirroring the hacking community in a way. You yeah, know? you're riding a well, line. It's like, it's like none of this is is intended to be nefarious in any kind of way, but it's uh, really more us experimenting more than anything. Yeah. Yeah. I uh, I got a question for you, Jeremy. Um, so it sounds like since uh, you were uh, a field radio operator for the Marines, um, it sounds like you've probably learned a lot more about radio than what they taught you it sounds like what you just said they just they taught you how to set stuff up how to plug stuff in and use the microphone um do you think that you would have been better served in that role uh knowing what you know today if you know more if you've gained more information uh outside of the military would that have helped you uh back then um not necessarily just because everything i'm doing with comms right now is kind of different than what I did in the Marine Corps. Because in the Marine Corps, okay, there's already an infrastructure in place. There's already a thousand guides. The equipment is there. There's no backdoor stuff. Like you simply just do the actions. And until you get like much further into the radio operator field, you've been around for years and years and you're doing different stuff. Everything is really just, you know, repeat motion. Whereas right now, okay. I'm trying to create basically a support system and infrastructure for a comms plan that doesn't exist in a sense on a limited market and limited resources. So it's two completely different ballgames right now. Yeah, it is. That is a, I can see that totally, totally different. That's a good way to put it. You know, uh, I, I think it's safe to say that this has forced all of us to kind of experiment and learn different hardware and, uh, make yeah. use of what's available, and you're doing it with your own dollars. Yeah, <laughs> I was going to say where this, this stuff can get very, very pricey. It does. If it wasn't for the 
group aspect of all of this and us all coming together to fund comms, there would have been a lot more limitations to everything that we've done so far, in a sense. Um, especially what we have like planned. We start talking about out, if you start getting into anything outside of portables, as far as supporting a group of any size, whether it's ten dudes or ten thousand dudes, you're talking about some money. Yeah, no joke, thousands of dollars per user, and you know, not just yeah users, and then uh, area coverage too is a big part of that. Being able to uh, you know cover more than your immediate vicinity that you can with. Uh, with a portable or a handheld and actually being able to, you know, essentially cover what could be dozens or, or hundreds of, of square miles. And that is kind of where we're at right now is the majority of us have transferred over to portables, P25 encryption as our standard. We have some basic infrastructure to support e portables, but if we're not together, the portables don't necessarily it's the portables are pretty much obsolete whether it's a baofeng or it's a motorola you're on p25 or you're you know dmr it really doesn't matter because you know range is obviously so limited so now the next part in the stage is all right how do we get the portables or other series of equipment do we implement to start looking at secure long distance communications because really the biggest thing that i've been focusing on I think makes comms on the civilian side a little harder recently is how do I do this securely? Uh, how do I do this without jeopardizing security? And obviously no comms is perfectly secure, but you know, do I want to gain long range communications and it just be analog HF voice? You know, I don't necessarily want to settle for that standards. You know, where do we go from there? If the infrastructure doesn't exist, can I create the infrastructure? Um, you know, what do I got to do, which is all part of this big learning process that I think we're really all kind of in different stages of. Yeah, that's uh, that's very well put. So that's a good uh, opportunity to segue into a question I have for you. What made you guys switch from using Baofengs to XTSs? And uh, what was that learning curve like? So honestly, the reason goes back to comms and logistics. Um and then that's two parts. One, I, I realized that we were at a point in time where we had put off upgrading comms for for too long at this point. You know, we were all investing a lot in gear and other you know support factors, but at the end of the day, we were still rocking Alfangs as our one and only form of communication. And eventually, I was like, "This has got to stop. We need to make an improvement." Um, you know, because I had watched Isaac's videos from TRX Arms. And, you know, some of those and was trying to learn. And, you know, I just realized we were behind the curve um, and we were not secure. And so, you know, as a, you know, a local group, comms, uh, comm security was was a big concern of mine. So transferring into how we went from Baofengs to Motorola's, uh, you know, was me becoming closer with comms and logistics page. And he kind of took me under his wing and we had a lot of like video calls and phone calls. And he sent me a ton of links. I started creating like these little guides. Like if we were on you know, a video call together, I had word pulled up on my laptop and I was trying to just write everything down that we were doing and trying to create like, you know, my own guide that way I could start to re-replicate this process, um, which he knows, you know, didn't really work well. Cause I always came back with a thousand questions, but I mean, it basically started with, all right, what do we want to do? We want, sec we want secure comps. All right, cool. Do we want to go P25 or do we want to go DMR? In my mind, P25 was um, a little easier, 
for me to learn. I had more, inf- I had more access to information on it. So we just went P25. I have not really dove into DMR much at all. Then at that point, it was like, we need to set a standard. What is the standard? Is the standard digital versus standard digital and encrypted? So at that point, you know, we ask ourselves, what encryption do we want? I decided we were going to do 256. We were just going to go top tier. I was like, if we're going to do this, let's just do it right from the get go. So now, you know, our standard now is P25 with AES 256. Um, there's other options that you can kind of lay back on because eventually it's like, if the grid goes down and we can't acquire, you know, AES UCMs anymore, you know, the encryption modules for those that don't know what UCM is. What are we going to do? Do we settle for ADP? Do we just stay on digital? You know, what what is the plan? Right. So um, yeah, and that is the nice part about some question. of the the Motorola's and the XTS's is you do you do have that choice. The with the latest firmware, the XTS's will do a software based you know forty bit ADP encryption, mm-hmm. or if you have the UCMs, uh, you can run AES two fifty six, and it's a little bit more on the rare side. But if you get a uh, a UCM that supports ADP and AES-256, you could have interoperability between radios that do and don't have UCMs. You can take those uh, software-based UCM or ADP keys that are on you know, radios without UCMs. You could put those keys onto a UCM that supports ADP and AES. You can have two different encryption standards on uh, one UCM at one time. You just have to load the keys. And I think... With with everything I just said, as far as you know, our journey to getting into digital, you know, I must also stress that six months ago, you know, there was not as much information on social media surrounding how to do any of this. Since comms and logistics page has really taken off, it's kind of brought other pages with it. You know, just just all of the guys that are in our comms group chat on Instagram, all of us are making you know some level of comms related content now whereas you know earlier 2022 that wasn't necessarily the case if people were making that content it wasn't as popular so there was a huge learning gap that had to be overcome and unless you have somebody teaching you some of this stuff it's either going to take you a really long time to figure out or you'll never realize it's there right that's very true and you know that's a good testament to what this community is doing um it, it was said that we're all kind of learning together we're all developing together we're all growing together and i think that's very true because you know each one of us has a little nugget of knowledge that the other one of us doesn't have i mean i i can definitely say that everybody in the comms chat and all the other comms pages i've learned something from every single one of them from from both of you guys have learned something I, i'm trying to offer as many nuggets of knowledge myself for other people to learn and it's it is it's a big collective effort you know it's kind of like you we're making the decision to transition into digital and you know it's it's been a journey and but we're getting there and it's becoming normal or i say becoming normal it's becoming mainstream a little bit uh, at least in the gun world yeah. practical world i think yeah no it is for sure i think it just just like comms you know everything comes in phases and you know since 2020 and it started before that, but really since culture started to change in 2020, every year since then, it's been something different. In 2020, it was, you know, doing more than just being stationary and reloading at the flat range. It was getting dynamic on the range. 2021, no, was... Recky Rifle. 
recce's guys starting to get into maybe like you know long range packs and stuff like that you know kind of building out their gear for more sustainment versus like the micro and then 2022 was like the year of organized groups and community and all this kind of stuff basically the birth of what is the american small unit um and now as we get into 2023 we're starting to see the development of capabilities you know, me and another page or two have been talking LSWs a lot. You know, the comms is really big right now. Guys are talking about logistics. Um, DMRs and precision rifle teams are on the up and coming right now. Not just you with a, you know, a 6.5 or 308 bolt action gun, but like true, um, you know, DMR and sniper roles and the knowledge that comes behind it with Reaper pushing Fry the Brain and, you know, all this other stuff. Yeah, for sure. So yeah, I want to do something real quick. Let's let's transition in, into that topic a little bit. And let's ask you, since you specifically, you were a Marine and, and you were a comms guy for the Marines. What is an RTO? So an RTO, the answer to that is going to be very heavily dependent on the type of unit that you're attached to. And this can really be... um two different sides. Are you either a support role or are you an individual role? And what I mean by that is if you're an individual, you are a single RTO that was attached to some sort of unit that is not comm specific, an artillery unit, you know, red patchers, infantrymen, whatever that might be. If you're more of a support role, you're more than likely being paired with many field individuals, data guys, wire, radio, so on and so forth. And you're probably working out of some sort of tune company, regiment, you know, headquarters uh, facility, and you're establishing more network-wide comms. You know, you're not just setting up comms for this set of Humvees. You're setting up four or five networks, a few across VHF, a few across HF, so that's really going to depend on what kind of unit you get to put into. And I'll focus on the individual um, side of this just because it may be a little easier for the listeners to understand first. So as an individual RTO, let's say you're attached to, um, let's just say you're attached to some logistics unit. You know, you're probably rocking, uh, you're probably running with some seven tons, a couple Humvees with guns on them, so on and so forth. You're running logistics for you know in a direct action infantry unit. If you're the RTO, you know for this attached logistics unit, you're making sure that the portables for all of the trucks, including their amplifiers, is squared away. You're making sure guys' radios are programmed, because um, even if their radios come from a bigger S6 shop at like a company headquarters tent. If something ever happens, even if you're standing around the fob, they're going to come up to you and be like, hey, RO, you know, my shit's out of whack. You know, my time's messed up for frequency hopping or whatever it might be. Or they're not going to know what's going on at all. And they're just going to go, hey, this no push talk. You got to fix it. This, <laughs> this radio, no talk. <laughs> Walkie talkies broke. So that is really your baseline responsibility is does comms work? Outside of that, if you're a more experienced RO, you may get into a very small amount of the field maintenance size, uh, the field maintenance size, upkeep, upkeep, so on and so forth. The last part of that individual side 
um, especially if you're like in an artillery unit or an infantry unit, is going to be uh, the actual comms portion of all of this, which is you know sending reports, um, you know call for fires, you know whatever this might be. Um, and this is why I say that there really is no one um, type or one responsibility or whatever of a field radio operator. Because what a field radar operator does for like a red patchers unit versus being in an infantry unit are two completely completely different thing. Uh, for those that don't know what red patchers are, they are essentially the guys that. Um, sorry, my phone rang. Uh, those are the guys that work with groundside units um, that work with helicopters that move equipment, artillery guns, so on and so forth. So, you know, you're chatting with helicopters and whatnot as they come into you know, some sort of LZ to pick up equipment versus on the infantry side. You may be uh, making call for fires with a mortars team. You may be calling in nine lines. So it, it's, it's, really going to, uh, it's really going to vary. And luckily, in my RO career, which was rather short-lived, you know, I volunteered to go with a lot of different units for a lot of different training. I got to see a little bit of everything, kind of the jack of all trades, master of none. Um, but that stuff is also a very much diminishing trade. If you're not sending, if, if you're in an artillery unit and these are the three or four reports that you're always using, then you know that stuff is really solid in your mind. But then if you go to your next field op over the logistics unit and you're, you know, you're sending three or four completely different for, uh, formatted reports, kind of start to lose that. So as an RO, you kind of settle into a groove, if that makes sense. Yeah, it makes sense. So there's, there's a, you just get familiar with the administrative duties that are assigned to that specific location in that role and just start hammering them out. I would say that's accurate. I had, and ROs have a ton of really cool responsibilities. And, you know, just in my first unit alone, um, which was, um, First MLR out of uh, out of uh, Camp Pendleton. My two sergeants that were in my S six shop as I was leaving to go to the embassy security side. One of my sergeants went to MSAL, um, passed in doc, went on, became a raider. Uh, one went on, came M uh, Marsoc, and then my other one went on to Marine One and was a radio operator on Marine One out at Quantico. Which I eventually ended up running into him later when I was at Quantico for embassy stuff. So radio operators have a ton of possibilities. Uh, however, you know, the military can definitely screw you over in your possibilities with, without a second thought. <laughs> Pretty good at doing that. Oh, they're really good at doing that. <laughs> what would you say the role of an RTO could be defined as uh, in a civilian unit, if you want to call it a unit or a group, uh, prepper group, tactical group, emergency preparedness group? We obviously or looking into radios for those types of groups and establishing communications, maintaining communications. Um, what would you say an RTO's role in these types of situations or those types of groups looks like? So when it comes to the civilian side, if we're talking, you know, prepper groups, Minuteman groups, whatever it might be, let's say, you know, less than 10 or 12, I'd like to think of them less as a field radio operator and more of a communications officer. And I give it that specific billet title because your realm of responsibility now is much greater than just, you know, maintaining and programming some uh, portable handhelds. 
know, if you're the comms guy of your group, not only is it your responsibility to understand how comms works and how to best implement the equipment that you can get or that is at your disposal now to best aid the objectives of the group, whether it's a prepper perspective, you know, a conventional or guerrilla perspective, whatever that might be. But you have to be able to also teach members of your group because, you know, that the whole purpose of that group is to share knowledge and, you know, become stronger as one. But on the other side of that, you're also writing and organizing communication plans, which is something I've definitely done more now that I did a very limited amount of in the Marine Corps is, you know, actually writing those comms plans, whether that be how are we utilizing our local repeater network, you know, depending on what frequency band I'm on, what can I use, what can I not use because I don't want to interfere with first responder chat or, you know, business frequencies, so on and so forth. How often are we going to rotate frequencies? How often do we need to rotate crypto? Is everybody on the same crypto or are some of us on different crypto? So you're really so much more than just a, you know, an FTO at that point. You're a comms officer. You, you are that admin and operational side of everything. And if you are the comms guys of your group, the entire comms side will essentially break down without you. Because even if the guys in your group, whether it's family members, other community members, whatever it might be, even if they know how to operate their portable radio, yeah, I can change the frequency, so on and so forth. They may not understand how to write a comps plan and why, what frequency bands are best for what, and you know how the, your environment that you're in specifically um, affects how your comps plan is implemented, and so on and so forth. Yeah. I totally agree with that. I think you uh, hit the nail on the head as as a civilian in the like communications role. I do think that you uh, you have to know much more than what you were taught back in your days in the Marines. You, you don't have the convenience of having all these guides and references and everything laid out in front of you. And you just plug stuff in and set stuff up and and radio talk. You have to know how propagation works you have to know how antenna theory uh you have to it's it's a massive it's like we've said on the podcast before it's a black hole and it's a lot to learn but uh it's doable you know you just gotta set your mind to it Mm -hmm. and there's so much even on just the basis of how communications works how rf works so on and so forth that is a rabbit hole that you can go down for miles and miles and miles and miles before you ever start <laughs> to grasp what the hell is going on. Dude, I still don't understand it all the way sometimes. It's it's crazy stuff. That's why they call it like a they say that like RF and everything like that is a it's an art as much as it is a science. Yeah, absolutely. You got to there's there's plenty of room for creativity here. It really is an art. You have to be creative because most of the stuff that we're all trying to use, whether it's Motorola's, Inwood's, Hatera's, you know, whatever it might be, a lot of this stuff wasn't built for civilian use. A lot of this stuff was built for like a military or first responder use that is paired with infrastructure and software that comes along with all this and so on and so forth. So you start removing Actors of this chain that's supposed to make these things really easy it becomes a lot more difficult very fast. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And then you know, I kind of like to think of it as okay, these are the the tools that we have available. This is how RF science works. 
Uh, and, and here's the problem that I'm trying to solve. So you know, something that we've been talking about in our chat, Jeremy, me and you and Tito, here, here's the problem. How can I talk to my immediate area being like 10 mile radius? And the answer to that is, well, there's a lot of ways you could do it. The question there, you know, when you start to peel back the layers of the onion is, well, what's, what are the problems that occur when you try? What, mm-hmm. what do you have available? And then, and then it's just a matter of problem solving at that point. Well, what if we, what if we did this and let's test it? Let's, let's switch bands. Let's quit using UHF. Let's go to BHF. Is that working? You can figure out which band works better. Okay. Well, what if we, what if we put a repeater up here? Well, the repeater didn't really work well over there. Let's put it over here. It's just a, it's a cat and mouse game of chasing down different solutions to a, you know, predetermined problem. Sure. And I think one of the biggest things that I've noticed some people make is they don't understand how to properly choose or implement the frequency bands that they want to use for a certain project before diving into something. It's a very good point. That's that's one of the things I tell people when they're getting into comms when I get very uh elementary level questions is take some time. I'm going to give you a, a shopping list of things to go research. And one of the first ones is always go learn what the difference is between UHF and VHF. There's a ton of data on a Google search that you can turn up that will explain and spell out what the differences are and what the behavioral characteristics are. And likewise, uh, go learn what the difference is between simplex and duplex and how repeaters work. You know, you, you learn those opened up a whole world of RF to begin troubleshooting, those are kind of foundational pieces of information. So, and, and another to your point, I think yeah. you're absolutely right. You, people need, do need to understand which band is suitable for which scenario, and, and and choose wisely and test it. You have to test it. You have to test it. I think a big thing that people also forget. Let's say they do have the understanding of VHF and UHF now. All right, what are you using VH, VHF or UHF for? Because, you know, UHF radios, whether it's the Johnsons or even the 5100s, you know, UHF, for whatever reason, is much more uh, available and affordable on the on the surplus market right now. So a lot of guys are diving into UHF, but they may not know why they selected UHF or if UHF was even best for them. They just saw that UHF radios are cheaper than VHF radios right now, and they dove in. So now, if your if your purpose was to try and stretch the, your portables as, as much as you could, but you know you live in a heavily wooded rural to suburban area, now your UHF radios aren't going to be performing to you know the stand up that a VHF radio might. Yeah, I think a lot of people will hear hear us talking about these radios, and then they just get on Google and they look them up, and then. You know, an eBay listing pops up with this radio and it's, you know, $85 or something like that. And they don't look any further into the listing to see that it's a 700, 800 megahertz radio, which is there, there's no allotment in that in that uh, band spectrum uh, for civilian usage, basically almost none. And, you know, they all they see is like, oh, wow, this is, you know, a pretty good price on a on a radio and it is, it's a nice radio, but at the same time you're getting a radio in a band that probably won't propagate well in your area. And also that you can't legally use uh, anywhere on that spectrum without serious hoops through the FCC and everything like that. And you still probably won't get it. Um, 
And, and that also just correlates, like you said, to the UHF with 700, 800 is UHF. And that's what you'll see those listings a lot on eBay are those, those radios are listed as like UHF two or UHF R two, meaning the higher end of the, it's kind of relatively speaking, but the higher end of a portable radios UHF spectrum, as opposed to like UHF R one, which are going to be like your 300 to 500 megahertz. Um, and yeah, it's just like you said that uh, a lot of people don't understand how the propagation characteristics of the different uh, frequencies work. They just think radio is radio and I should be able to talk to this dude uh, who is way too far away or, you know, the terrain dictates that the, the terrain will dictate if that person is too far away or not, essentially, um, through line of sight. And it doesn't really matter if you're VHF, UHF or or whatever, uh, all of those, all of that spectrum is pretty limited to line of sight. Meaning if you couldn't shine a laser and hit that person with a laser, the more you put in between you and that person or you and, you know, that other person hitting them with a laser, the less chance you have at making that communication. Mm -hmm. Most people don't realize that because they see first responders and whatnot with portable radios and they think that they're going to gain all this crazy distance that they do, but people don't realize that iron police have <laughs> vast networks of repeaters all throughout their areas. I mean, oh yeah, oh yeah, vast repeater networks. Most people don't realize that most police cruisers they have a repeater built into the to the vehicle, and so the the, the officer is communicating with the vehicle, and then the vehicle is communicating to another repeater, which is tied into a larger network, and it's like just this spider web of computers and infrastructure yeah it's yeah, exactly it's not just a handheld a talking to another handheld on the other side of town it's way more complicated than that yeah no especially with trunk systems and control channels alternate control channels um yeah it's just pretty much uh, that's like what i talked about uh recently actually i don't know if that was on the podcast or not but um how the county next to me is about to spend like $30 million on building like 14 new tower sites because they refuse to use a RF band that would propagate better in the area. And most people don't. Or the FC, or I was going to say, or the FCC won't allot them frequency spectrum in the band that would propagate better in the area. So they have to spend obscene amounts of taxpayer dollars uh, to put in the infrastructure required to make it happen. And, and this is might be unpopular among some of our comms friends on Instagram, but more people are going to need VHF uh, over UHF. And because I feel like UHF is pushed really heavy on social media right now, but I feel like VHF is the better target for most civilians because most civilians are in suburban to rural areas that are probably in this in, in in this spectrum of you know our community and hf has a lot of open frequencies not necessarily that i'm not saying you should or should not go get a license to get permission to, to bands i'm just saying that a lot of frequencies are not used in the vhf spectrum because there's not you know even in a suburban area you're really not dealing with them as much tall buildings and concrete and so on and so forth to really justify using uhf over vhf and that may differ depending on your definition of suburban area you know what may be a suburban area to me may be different 
uh, to a person that's living on the outskirts of New York of their suburban area. Yeah. You know, VHF, you know, especially with as much of us that, you know, talk about going to the woods and all that kind of stuff. VHF is going to benefit you a whole lot more. I, I agree with that. I run VHF uh, XTS 5000 radios primarily. Um, they propagate very well. I'm, I'm pretty coastal here as well. Uh, so I have the ability to um, use and monitor the marine band, all of the marine, whether that's uh, government coast guard frequencies, all the way to civilian ship to ship, ship to land uh, frequencies as well. And then uh, the NOAA weather frequencies and emergency frequencies, a lot of those fall into the VHF spectrum as well. So you can get your emergency broadcast systems uh, that would come through NOAA if needed on those radios as well. And um, yeah, like you said, you know, through the and through my use of the VHF radios, even in Florida, through very dense uh, wooded areas. I mean, just last weekend, my buddy and I were talking uh, line of sight without trees and vegetation was was good. But there was literally just a thick, impenetrable forest of trees and vegetation between the two of us. We were a mile away talking to each other on one watt with radios in chest rigs, uh, which is about as bad as uh, antenna propagation could get being pressed up against your body in such a way in a chest rig. And like I said, we're just pushing one watt through these radios, communicating crystal clear, no problem with uh, P25 and encryption. The big thing that starts to mess with comms is hills. Yeah. Oh, that's just any line of sight. Once you put a landmass between you and the person you're trying to talk to, now you're basically relying on a multipath propagation, which means you're relying on that signal bouncing off of other terrain features in the area to get to where it's going. Because um, even VHF, while VHF will bend over perfect Earth, will bend around the curvature of the horizon slightly, it doesn't, it's not going to bend over a hilltop or even, or even a mountaintop. You can get some uh, knife edge diffraction, meaning uh, that VHF signal could refract off the material of a top of a sharp mountain ridge or uh, or drastic uh, like a change in a in a hilltop. But there's some crazy math that goes into figuring out if that's going to work or not. And this is yeah. why the planning portion to you comms is so important, you know, because for someone like me in the rolling hills of Kentucky, our entire region is hills. So until when or if we have a well-defined repeater network that supports our own comms. You know, you have to really think about your comms plan when you're going to try and communicate, which all comes back to, you know, reading terrain features on a map and whatnot. All right, when we hit this hilltop, this is going to be comm window one. And in 30 minutes, we should be around this hilltop. And we're going to walk up here and we're going to hit another comms window and so on and so forth. You know what's interesting about repeater networks and and hills and and all that stuff? There is no silver bullet. And uh, as far as comms planning goes, uh, I think we talked about this a little bit in our text chat. But you know, I I think it's it's good to to teach guys in your group, you know, comms windows and how to get to a high point to make those comm windows. Uh, because you know you have a designated time that you're going to communicate, and so you know you have time to get to a high point, and uh, you're going to have a predetermined time of when you can listen for a transmission. It's uh, it's 8:30 right now. I need to get to the top of that mountain at 
if, if that's what our comms window is. So I can uh, get a transmission out to where it needs to go because I know it's not going to work right here. You know, comms windows, uh, getting to transmission locations, uh, stuff like that needs to be implemented in the SOP and training and even training people to think enough to be able to uh, improvise that on the fly. Say you're on a patrol in a kind of a heavily wooded area, but you're in a valley. Okay, I know we have a comms window coming up, and I know we need to get some information from the team two ridges over, and it's not going to happen right here. So let's let's go find a high spot for that comms window. And, you know, you're going to be relying on them to do the exact same thing. But, you know, you mentioned planning. That's that's a tactic. That's a method uh, that could and should be trained and, and practiced and implemented to be able to solve some of those problems, you know, working around hills and uh, elevation and all that sort of thing. And that was a that's good point, Civil. I uh, I could totally agree with everything there. I mean, a lot of that is um, when when terrain is a feature like that, having your comms windows and knowing, you know, through planning and everything in, in your SOPs that, you know, this team is over here and our comm windows at this time. So, you know, to make that comm shot, that I need to be in this place to get that communication to where it needs to be. And, you know, and then also through your SOPs, if, if you miss so ever many, uh, you know, if you miss two comms windows with no report, well, something's wrong and, you know, teams are going to have to react accordingly. Yeah. The, the cool thing about that is we, we've kind of done some of this in, in the, comms classes that I teach when we talk about land nav and comms is, you know, you can relay back a position and your, your receiving team can track that on a map. And so, you know, this, at this comms window, they're at this location at the next comms window, they're at this location. So you can tell a trajectory of heading of where they're going. And, um, and then you can get their last known position from that comms window. And so, you know, okay, this is where they d- went dark. Uh, so it gives you an angle of trajectory where they're heading in this direction. This is where we lost them at. So it gives you a spot to pick and a spot to kind of the direction to look in if you're going to go looking for them, something like that. And as and, far as when you hit on like the tactics side of all of this, you even got to think you know, possibly even bigger than all this. Let's say you know you've got a 15 man group. Well, part of you know, your group's roles and responsibilities, families. Now you have 15 families to track. Are those guys in your group with those families? Do those families know how comms works? Do they have the same comms equipment you do? Or do they just have boss or bow fangs? You know, what are, you know, there's that whole other aspect, all of this. We can't just focus on the cool side guy comms. We got to focus about the other more meaningful side of all of this as well. That's a good point. That's something I need to hammer home on a little bit here is you know, getting my wife trained up on comms and um, having a spare radio around that's more than a Baofeng. Now, I do keep a couple of Baofengs. You know, I got the MERS channels programmed in, the FRS channels, GMRS channels, uh, the mm-hmm. NOAA weather radio. Uh, what else? I got some of the uh, sky, the, the repeaters for ham radio clubs that have Skywarn on. And so, you know. Yeah, Skywarn, Aries. Yeah, and, and around here, it's it's Tornadoes. Whenever there's a tornado watch or a tornado warning, uh, you can flip those things on and listen to the uh, the net control, and you can listen to the uh, storm chasers on the ground reporting that stuff back. Very valuable information. It's more real time than you're going to get on the radio or the TV. Uh, so you'll, you'll know exactly yeah. where that thing's going to be at if it's on the ground twisting and moving and tearing shit up. But and as much and even 
Go ahead, Jeremy. As much as, you know, Baofengs obviously are not the standard we want it to be to, you know, if you and all your buddies have upgraded from Baofengs to Motorola's or Kenwood's or Hatera's, whatever it might be, those Baofengs can still be programmed similarly or with their own zone, whatever it might be. And now all of your family has comms. You know, yeah, it would be awesome for all of our wives and spouses or kids or parents to have p25 encrypted motorola's that's a that's a that's a hefty uh that's a hefty expense those baofangs worked back into the comms plan and having them operate in a way that is optimal for them and not making them try to be something that they're not is also important to your point i think it's, uh, it's worth establishing maybe a mers frequency and a GMRS or an FRS frequency kind of for interop use or just, you know, that that should be a quick go-to in your channel list. Because there's, there's going to be other people, like, you know, say you come across somebody who's got a little blister pack radio. Well, you know, that's FRS. You can, you can hop on those FRS frequencies and, and communicate with them from your XTS. I mean, I have a zone like that in my XTS radios. I call it my, my interop zone. And it is, you know, for me on VHF, it's, uh, it's some marine frequencies, it's MERS frequencies, um, maybe a couple of like uh, two meter ham band simplex frequencies, you know, programmed in. And uh, it, and it's just in my XTS is programmed for just analog FM. And that's my interop for anybody with a Baofeng. And then in my right in the rain notebook in my chest rig, I've got those channels written down with their corresponding frequencies because I, you know, I got some of them memorized, but I can't memorize all of them. It's just way too many numbers and stuff. So uh, just have that written down. So that way, if you do run into a uh, somebody that's running a Baofeng, you can be like, hey, go to VFO mode, punch in this frequency, and you and I are talking. I need to do some more of that. I need to do some more practice with that. We need to practice communication failures. We need to like, you know, have our... Um, yeah. And th- this is a good time to roll in the pace, ends, but... You know, I, th- I think we need to do some more drills like uh, here's our uh, primary communication channel. If you can somehow jam it or mimic it to not work. Okay, what do we do? Let's bump over to either another frequency or another band or another channel or, or you know, wh- how do you solve that problem? That's that's uh, that's something that needs to be exercised and, and trained. And yeah. From the tactical side of all of this, you know, God forbid. You know, you're in some sort of conflict of some degree. You know, one of your guys goes down and now, you know, the adversary has their radio, which has their encryption in it and all of the frequencies. Yeah, you as a unit, you know, kind of broken off from contact at this point, you can roll over your frequencies if you need to. But what about your encryption? Now, all of your encryption keys are useless until you get back to a headquarters element, a staging area, you know, whatever it might be rolling over your crypto at this point in time that's why i don't have afds for the field well that's why i'm uh hopefully we get the comms and logistics kfd here soon um i have a little box that i uh like a little uh i should probably do a post on it little plano box that i keep my um it's almost like a what is it i don't know it's like a plano box it's like a little bit bigger than like it would hold like a cell phone or two and it's, you know, water resistant and I can put my KFD, my cables and a key load adapter for my radios in there. And then I got my uh, my Panasonic tough pad and I can keep that all in my pack. And if I need to, I can roll crypto in the field. I can also 
roll frequencies if needed as well. I could, could go in and change frequencies. Also, that's a nice thing about having FPP on some radios too. You might not exactly have to roll over frequencies via, you know, CPS on a, on an electronic user device. You could FPP a whole new zone of new frequencies on the fly and just like you do it with your guys right there. Um, and just make sure everyone gets everything punched in the right way. You, you could do that, but let's think, cause I always try to think bigger, larger than what we're already at. The community as a whole, you know, thinking about, you know, the two a community, we're all in the realm of like 10 to 12 man groups or somewhere around there right now, whether you have five guys, 12 guys, whatever it is, we're all like that squad size and smaller element right now. What happens when you're talking about multiple squads across, you know, the counties that make up your geographic region and whatnot, and you're, you're doing yeah. something, you know, that may, that may not always be an option, especially in a grid down type scenario. If the group as a whole, let's say you're a 30 man group and you have two KFDs because you guys bought, you know, two, so you know each squad or whatever might have one. You may not necessarily want to put that in your pack and take that on a patrol with you, regardless if it's a combative uh, mission or just a resupply or you know whatever it might be. That may not be necessarily something you want to put at risk because it's so valuable. Yeah. I see that. That's a very good point. Plus, you know, if you tell me something real quick, you know, I'm, I'm more on the DMR side. I don't have a ton of experience with P25, although I'm getting more into it. Uh, I just bought a whole pile of EF Johnson radios. I'm still working through, but, uh, um, <laughs> uh, so on DMR, at least on these, uh, BTEC 6X2s, you can have like 99 encryption keys stored in there. Mm-hmm. What what do you do on with encryption on the XTS? Is there more than one key that can be put in there? Yeah, you can more than bad Tito. Um, I was gonna say I haven't maxed out a UCM yet. I've been uh, I talked to a dude um, a while ago. He's actually a buddy of mine up in Alaska who does a lot of work with XTS radios. Uh, his department, he's a fire EMS. His department uses them, um, and he was telling me like the math, you know, like a UCM will hold ha, has this much storage space and a, a, a AS-256 key uses up this much space. And he basically broke it down to a, a, a UCM for an XTS radio, which is also the same for many other radios will hold like almost 200 keys. I think it's like 200 and like seven keys. Uh, so yeah, I haven't maxed one out yet. I typically run 10 keys at a time. Um, but I'm about to meet up with my guys next week and I'm going to roll crypto. And I already have a, uh, a container and KFD tool with 25 keys loaded. So here's one for you. This is a hypothetical. Okay, you're, you're running an op. Man goes down. The radio is sacrificed. Mm-hmm. If you had a pace plan, if you will, for crypto keys or like a sequence of, of key numbers or key slots that you could follow, but you had 207 keys... You know, okay, radio's down. Next key, let's roll to key number 42. Well, then they, they got to sift through 270, 207 keys and hopefully land on the right one to be able to listen to you. You know, so you, you can each keep, radio, you know, rolling crypto like every 30 minutes or every hour until you can get back to a location where it's safe to rekey every radio. Yeah. Uh, you could. And also, um, Every everybody in the squad could be using a different key as long as all of the UCMs have the same keys loaded. You know, Bobby 
with this radio could be using encryption key 77. You could be using encryption key, you know, 92 and the radios will still communicate amongst each other because they have matching keys in the UCM. The UCM will very quickly identify that, oh, I have this key in my storage. I can decrypt this information. Oh, really? And use that. So then that, that theory yes. won't work then. Um, well, I mean, it could, it, uh, it yeah, work. no, it, I guess it wouldn't work because if the radio that's been compromised is, uh, is on and, and functioning, then yes, that will, if, if they are on that frequency, which is another thing you could have, you could roll through frequencies, you know, comp, you know, pretty, uh, regularly and they would have to hopefully land on, or you would go into your FPP zone and program in an all new frequency that they don't even know about. Now they're going to have to use some kind of infrastructure like an SDR to find the frequency that you guys are using, tune that radio to it and that kind of stuff. It's also a good case for password protecting your radios because, uh, with the XTS 5000s with the correct settings for uh, radio lock, you can basically enable a power on password that is stored only in the UCM and CPS cannot read that information. So even if they plug in that radio to a computer and read it with uh, Motorola CPS, they will not get that radio's uh, unlock key. Um, it's like I said, stored directly on the UCM. You also, you can't use KFD tool to read that information. If you lose that, that uh, that unlock key, you have to wipe the radio with uh, with depot and reset the whole thing. And with that being said, from the kind of self reliant standpoint, don't if you're going to put passwords on your radios, don't put individual passwords. Put a group password, and everybody's radio has the same password. Because if Jim Bob goes down, we recover Jim Bob, but Jim Bob's a goner. And we want to give his radio to the next guy in line. Well, if only Jim Bob knew Jim Bob's password until we hook it up to CPS or something like that, like his radio can be toast. So if you, if, if OPSEC, if OPSEC is of, if you're, if you're able to keep it, you know, OPSEC, all of the radios should have like a group password on it, or maybe just a squad specific password to those radios. That way, at least your immediate um, guys around you are able to access your radio if they need to. Password is one, two, three, I can four. See, <laughs> I can see an argument going either way there, Jeremy. Mm -hmm. um, I could see, you know, as it being a possibly a higher tier of, of OPSEC for individualized passwords, but you, you make a good argument there with having uh, the radios, you know, maybe, maybe divvied up by a squad level basis. This squad has a power on password of this and so so on and so forth and then that makes it to where you know if if this adversary does recover a radio that radio is only good until the battery dies and once the battery dies they can charge it up and whatever the, they're not going to get into the radio they're just going to have to unless they could somehow punch in numbers until you know it turned on but the um what is it the keys i believe the power on password is eight characters and that's that's a that's a lot of combinations to have to punch in and yeah. try. You know, another thing. Well, now that I'm thinking about this, it might not work. Can you can you set up your XTSs to zero if you take the battery out? I know there's some radios out there that can do that. Um, yes, I think so. I have not messed with it, but I do believe they have that possibility. I don't know if it, if the feature will zeroize the 
entire code plug, but you can set it up to where I believe if the battery is removed for more than 30 seconds, uh, the UCM will zeroize. You know, a good SOP, if you know you're going to get intercepted, is just take the battery out and you know after 30 seconds the radio is going to be zeroed. And so once you get intercepted, then, you know, they've got a radio in their hands that's now zeroized and encryption keys are gone, frequencies are gone, all that data is wiped itself. If it's power on password protected, yeah, well, you wiped the UCM. There's no chance of them at even recovering keys, even though I don't know if you even can pull keys off a UCM because I believe it zeroizes if you remove the UCM from the radio, even with uh, the feature in the in the uh, in the CPS for the XTS radios is uh, infinite key retention under the secure um, the secure settings. Um, And if you have that infinite key retention enabled, that's what basically allows the radio. You could take the battery out for however long. You throw a battery in and the keys will still be there. But if that setting is disabled, I believe it is a 30 second timer. It might be CPS defined. You might be able to change the amount of time. I'm not positive because I haven't used it. Um, I, I do. I just know that it's a setting in there. I'd have to do a little bit of looking and see if it if there's actually a setting to zeroize the entire code plug, which would be kind of cool. Uh, especially if you have a code plug written. I do have like an emergency code plug to where like something did go down and I I have my radios programmed with an initial code plug that they all run right now, but like, okay, something goes down. We use our radios to, to, you know, my whole team, whatever family we meet up. And then I'm going to grab all those radios real quick and I'm going to clone them all to my emergency use code plug, which is much more easily uh, cycled through and editable. Yeah, regardless of regardless of what your plan is, you should always have some sort of compromise plan. Absolutely, and you know, on the DMRs, you can't do that. The software encryption; those keys are on there. There's no zeroizing those things either. Bring up the zeroizing thing as an idea. I know some of the Harris radios the military uses can do it, but you know, those DMRs; those those keys are in there. The only way to wipe anything from there is you got to like go through the menu and reset the radio or you have to uh, plug it into a CPS and, and reset the radio. So it's once it's there, is there, is there a, uh, uh, like a radio read protect, like a password protect for reading the radio with CPS? Yeah, there is. It's only uh, a four. Well, it depends on the radio, I guess, but it's a four character key. Uh, Okay. That could get cracked pretty fast with a, yeah. Depending on if is it is it a hex or like a or a decimal no. key or is it just numbers? It's zero through nine. Oh, they could break. Yeah, that could be broken pretty yeah. quick if it's just four characters. These are all good ideas, you know. These are all little experiments you can do and kind of shape your SOPs based off of, you know, what's mm-hmm. your AO? Yeah. What do you? What's your objective? What's your threat? Not just tactically speaking, but. For emergencies, too. And I like your idea of the emergency code plug. That's a great idea. I should probably do something like that. Yeah, that's a good idea. Yeah. Mine's still kind of a work in progress. Um, just as I learn about some more features, which bringing up the, the zeroizing the radios makes me interested in looking more into these, uh, into the secure settings on the radios. And if I can make the code plug, like zeroize the whole code plug. Because, like, 
if somebody in my squad accidentally zeroizes, you know, the radio and the entire code plug might not be that big of a deal as long as I have my field computer and a programming cable with me. I can I can get everything, you know, recloned back to the radio in just a couple minutes. Um, so, yeah, that's something I'm going to have to look into. Yeah, that, that's my next thing, you know, as a, as, as a group RTO, so to speak. Uh, I've got to get a tablet and carry around a few different types of programming cords and have a bunch of different types of programming soft CPS softwares. And I need to, I need to be prepared. Um, not to it's mention, funny. I would it's love funny. to have a field expedient way to deploy SDR and, and monitor. I've been watching you guys in the chat with oh, the yeah. tablets and that seems to be the way to go. Dude, you can get a, uh, like an Eagle industries, uh, nine by three by five will fit a tough pad, uh, with, Plenty of room to spare. Like you could get a tough pad, some radio batteries, a KFD, uh, adapters, programming cables. You get everything in an Eagle Industries nine by three by five pouch. That's perfect, man. And then you got a little which will even comms kit. Could even go on a chest rig if you wanted it to. Yeah, you'd have a little grab and go comms kit, basically. Here's another RTO. Here's another RTO thing to consider. We all need to figure out mobile power sources. So we uh, that is a project I do have to work on. That's a project we've been working on as well. We're in the rough draft stages for that. Is essentially uh power banks that the primary source would be like car batteries in these conversion crates that can be hooked up to solar to recharge when they're not in service. It's a good idea. Um obviously that's that's big and bulky. So that's something like you're keeping in a vehicle and deploying like from a mobile perspective and whatnot, or in an enclosed trailer, you could probably do something similar with like a 12 volt battery and a holding solar panel or something like that. If you wanted to carry the weight, the other big thing about all of this is, you know, as we talk about gear and equipment and so on and so forth is we have to remember, we have to remember that there are limitations to the RTO and the RTO can't be everything the rto has to pick like one or two specific roles they try to tackle in the field and that's it because the rto though he's not carrying a bunch of extra ammo and smoke and all that kind of stuff as like a direct action element type guy he still has to carry his sustainment gear his water his chow the extra comms equipment that he's already using to support the small unit the capabilities he's trying to implement as an rto so, you know, weight adds up really, really fast. And we don't want to kind of build and build out an RTO that isn't realistic. Yeah. You know, and you also want to protect your RTO. Your RTO should not be your breacher and number one man in the stack. <laughs> so what are you going to do when you lose your RTO? No. <laughs> uh, I mean, RTOs are, are uh, what are they, like uh, HVTs, high value targets, or high priority targets, however, you, which I forget what the military uses exactly. Maybe HPT, high or Kill that Who's guy. A, at, yeah. Who took it priority shot. target. Yeah. You, it, you, if you're carrying around a bunch of antennas and shit, the crosshairs go to you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No doubt. That man, bad. Shoot. Now. <laughs> give everybody dummy antennas. That brings in give everybody antennas. <laughs> the whole unit of RTOs. Everybody's an RTO. 
Oh, Jesus. I think the golden standard of civilian RTO is obviously they're portable or let's let's base this around like a squad or platoon size RTO. Let's say squad because that's more realistic for probably most listeners. And let's say that this is a multi-unit thing. So it's not just your squad. A civilian RTO has the ability to communicate with the unit he's with. So a portable, probably on his chest triggers, play carrier, a voice option, then a digital or a data option. So that voice option, maybe like a VHF man pack that is kind of co-networked with a skim network of repeaters who cover a larger area or, you know, an antenna hill that, you know, other radio operators set up within the AO. And then that digital or that data option, I'm still not entirely sure as to which one is the correct term because I've seen both. Um, I think data, I, I, when, I, when I think of this, I think data. So a data option on HF for you to set up a TAC chat or a civilian equivalent with images or other things like that. That would be, that would be ideal. Because HF, like if you're, if you're setting up like a TAC chat or some sort of data equivalent, I'm not as up to date on that on the civilian side as, as I would like to be doing reconnaissance and you're taking pictures and sending reports. And if you're doing all of this via data, it's a lot easier to do and even to an extent more secure to do sending it that way than sending it over even, you know, voice, even if it's digital or if it's encrypted, so on and so forth. Depending on what you're doing, I should yeah. specify that it really depends on how yeah. your data is set up. Um, yeah, situation yeah. dictates for sure. Situation dictates. Uh-huh. But, you know, me sending a report over the radio voice is nothing compared to me sending you 10 pictures with a written report, um, you know, over data. Right. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, I think uh, kind of speaking love- to this, something to consider is or I, I, this is kind of a, a training model. And uh, you can take what you learn from this model and apply it in five different directions or more. But basically, okay, so go set yourself up a command unit or a command element. And then go set yourself up an Overwatch team, a Recce team, and a QRF team. And each team has to have inner communications and unit communications. You know, So uh, your command team is going to direct recce team your recce team is going to relay information back to your command unit your overwatch team is going to con- uh, communicate to your recce team hey you stop right there don't move any forward there's going to be an ambush they're waiting for you fall back stuff like that go go set up an op four scenario with a bunch of different teams bunch of different elements and set up your comms network play that shit out and see how it works and see what doesn't work and what works well? What will we do different? You know, you, you can learn a lot from doing a small exercise like that. And and doing an exercise like that, you know, that, that, that information doesn't just apply to that scenario. It transfers over into a lot of different areas. But you're never going to know how you can use some of those skills that you learn until you go uh, put them to the test and figure it out. really love to do like a, a, like a red team, like you know, against like comms, like basically red team, your comms, I guess is like, as I've seen it uh, said before, um, would be like a really fun exercise to, to like be a part of and do. Wyoming survival talked about that. Remember he said he set up a, uh, a segment team and then he had his guys out in the field doing recce and checking in and 
relaying reports and trying to get the second team to find their uh, frequency and lock onto it and intercept it and, and then direction find and then yeah uh you know basically hunt down the uh the the recce team yeah that would be so much fun that dude. would be fun out of planning i don't have the I don't have the guys to do that with, though. Not yet. All comes in time. I really want to get into the HF uh, thing like you were talking about, Jeremy. I think that's the next you know, big step for uh, me and some of the guys that um, you know, I train with and shoot with and do radio stuff with, especially now that I've got a pretty good another guy who's really into radios and stuff like that um, is getting getting like some HF stuff going, even if it's just like entry level for now. And just like getting the ropes down because HF is so much more involved than just a portable radio and a chest mm-hmm. rig. I mean, you're lugging around, you know, an actual like radio and a backpack and you you have to carry stuff to build antennas, repair antennas, test antennas, uh, configure antennas in the right way to make the RF propagate in the way that you want to, whether that's Envis or like long com shots, you know cross-continental or or you know cross-national um and it, it's just it sounds like it's so much fun the other thing that, that go ahead jeremy the other thing to consider from the rto perspective which normally there's an entire different you know unit in the military that would be responsible for this is you know setting up sdrs and scanners and whatnot and working you know pretty much your anti-coms um, and, and aiding your own intelligence and whatnot from what you're able to gather from yeah. all of that. And I think that's like what you're talking about, how the civilian RTO is, is more like a is, is more like a, a, an officer because I'm very well, I'm very much involved in the signal intelligence side of things, too, as much uh, it, as much as I am in actually working with radios and getting them to work and programming them. I am equally, if not more involved in uh, signal intelligence detection uh, triangulation and uh, decoding um, the information that is out there in the air. I kind of think I think part of an RTO's job should be able uh, to do some SIGINT stuff as well. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Is uh, if you are a civilian RTO, uh, what is it in the military? Is that the is that the S two? Yeah, is intelligence. Yeah, that would fall more into S two. Yeah. See, as a civilian RTO. Uh, doing what what we're talking about, you have to cover that field as well because the other guys in your team most likely aren't gonna, you know, unless somebody does step up to the plate and want to learn and be more of like the dedicated signal intelligence guy, you're probably the one that's doing it, and that's like the case for me, and it's probably the same case for you guys and most other uh, RTOs or you know guys who have taken the role for their group is they're also learning the SDR side of things as well. And, you know, being the comms guy isn't necessarily super popular amongst the majority of guys that you're going to come across Um, because it is a lot of time, a lot of work. Just the amount of time over the past couple months I've put into like really trying to truly understand CPS and DPS and creating documented SOPs to support the use of, you know, these new digitally encrypted comms and squaring everybody's handheld away because you know one you know one guy is really doing this with your secure off net tough book with all the programs and everything you know it's it's a lot of work and not a lot of guys step up to to that plate which is you know which is fine i mean you got to be you got to find this interesting to to really run with it otherwise you're gonna get burnt down you're not gonna want to do it 
Yeah. I mean, I've talked about it before. I, I fucking woke up one day and was like, we need radios <laughs> and we don't, and we don't need bow fangs. And I, I don't know. I don't exactly know what it was. If it was stuff that I saw on Instagram, but I was just like, what the hell are we going to do? If the grid goes down, cell goes down, there's no Wi-Fi. I was like, how would I even, how, how would I talk to my, you know, at the time, my girlfriend, my now fiance, how would I talk to her, even though she's not that far away? I, I right now standing here or whatever, I don't have a way of making sure that she's okay if, if the cell phones aren't working. So, um, and then same thing for, you know, my friends who relatively speaking, they didn't live that far away because they're totally in communications range of just a handheld radio. But that's several miles that I wouldn't have to walk or try to drive or something in a situation like that, um, where I can just hit them on a radio and be like, okay, everything's good over there. Where are we meeting up? What's going on? Like, if that's not already predetermined, because if you got a group, it probably should be uh, with timelines and SOP, stuff like that. But um, that was kind of what did it for me was like, how am I going to talk to somebody? Because we we really take it for granted. We're using our, our cell phones all day, every day to talk to people who are hundreds or thousands of miles away from us. Um, and we don't really think about if the grid goes down, how am I going to talk to my buddy that only lives like four miles away without walking there? Absolutely. Yeah, for sure. That's where, you know, back to the planning, SOPs are important. SOPs are important. Are there's, there's, there's so many ways you can go with it. I mean, it's a, it's a mashed potato soup, man. There's, there's, a, ton, there's a ton of stuff you can do. <laughs> what did you just say? Just mashed potato soup. <laughs> you, you never heard, that, heard that before. <laughs> you could tell it's getting no. late. We're all tired. <laughs> there, there's no, there's no substance to it. So you know, you gotta just throw just some shit in there and make it work. Out of substance. <laughs> like soup know. is a substance. It's a, it's an ungraspable uh, substance. I mean. No, I know what he's talking about. I I did a little time, and yeah, they they'll serve you some mashed potato soup. <laughs> Watery. Was there any other mashed potatoes in a bag? Was there any other uh, big like <laughs> RTO questions that you had listed that we haven't got to yet? Yeah, I was just gonna say let's. Um, yeah, let's let's, let's check start it to out. wrap this up, I'll, and you know, I'll edit some of this stuff out. But let's talk about radio talk, brevity codes, call signs, ley lines, you know, all that stuff needs to be communicated and as far as sop goes call signs you know call signs are cool there's a lot of people that give themselves call signs out there on instagram and, and telegram chats and but you know the purpose of a call sign is to kind of shield it's kind of shield your identity and you know it's supposed to be something vague about you that you know your your people will know who you are but so anybody's listening to be like who the fuck is taco <laughs> yeah i think I'm sorry, that killed me. <laughs> a big thing is, you know, I don't. You shouldn't use, depending on the size of your group or you know, whatever you're using comms for. You shouldn't use your individual call sign that much. It, it, it's like to me, like let's say you have a group of twelve dudes. You have three teams of four, and you guys are doing this training op to accomplish X, Y, Z. And for the training op. Team one is, uh, let's use snakes. Team one is Viper. Time two is uh, team two is Rattlesnake, and team three 
is Black Mamba. So then now you can assign a number to that individual in the team based on the succession of commands. So we know all the team leaders are their team name followed by the number. Rattlesnake 1, you know, Black Mamba 2, so on and so forth. Now, next time we do a training event, or if this was real life and we're doing an op, you could roll over those names and whatnot and protect OPSEC even more. So now I'm never using those individual call signs that are supposed to be consistent. That way everybody knows who it is all of the time. But if you know, you're know you in the planning stage of an operation and you know all of the unit's leadership is in the command tent, in the talk, and it's like, all right, this unit, this is your call sign, so on and so forth, blah, 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 blah. And then you know, in seven days yeah. we meet again, now everybody's getting new call signs because we're on a completely different op. Yeah, a lot of the time, especially I think in the military and stuff like that, you get assigned a call sign. You don't get to choose what your call sign is. Yeah, that, that's a good point. Um, I'm looking for it. I made a post, and this came from the um, Hard Time Strong Men podcast, but they talked about um, numerically coding. Uh, I think this came from the Army, but numerically coding each um, team's job number. So, like... You know, XO is, I believe, five and CO is six. They don't do that because you don't want to eavesdrop on a conversation and, and someone's calling out, hey, let me talk to your one. Well, you, natural inclination is going to be, oh, well, one is the top guy. He's number one, right? They've hidden that by designating him number six or number five. I can't find the post right now, but um, that kind of goes to your point. What you're talking about, Jeremy, is, you know, uh, each op you're rolling over and Viper 1, Viper 2, Viper 3, Viper 4. But you could hop on and be like, hey, Viper, uh, this is Viper 1. Let me talk to Rattlesnake 3. Designate which team member you're, you're calling and that sort of stuff. And the same thing yeah. goes for like um, checkpoints, uh, main routes used to travel, phase lines, so on and so forth. You know, things get called, something that they aren't obviously already labeled on a map for example you right, know, yeah and for, correct me yeah. if i'm wrong but a lot of that gets hashed out during the op order right yeah all of that gets done during the five paragraph order you know before that op actually takes place in the shmiak is given all of that is covered all of your all all of your call signs and brevity codes and all of that will be covered either in the execution phase or uh, the command and signal uh, phase of the five paragraph order. Yeah, that's that's good stuff to practice too because you got to also figure out how to retain that information when you hear it quickly. It's easy to walk. I mean, we've we've done this on some FTXs where you know uh, nothing this complex. Uh, we need to do it this complex, but where we'll have like a challenge and password. Be like the uh, the challenge is sky. And the password's blue. Um, you don't want to just walk into it. And kind of the idea there, and this apply, this can be applied to radio, but the idea there is you, someone walks into camp and you challenge them. You don't want to walk up to them and be like, Scott. And then they're like, purple. Oh, you're not supposed to be here. You don't know the password. Let's get them. And then it's supposed to be like, hey, did you see the sky out there? <laughs> oh, yeah, I saw the sky. It looks pretty blue. You know, it's kind of like coded in there. We've we've done stuff like that, and you can kind of apply that creative thinking to radio and checkpoints and 
And that's a whole um, other portion of comms you got to consider is your challenge and pass. There's three challenge and pass. You've got your word or phrase, like you just said. You have your number pass, which is just a combination. You know, if the combination is 11 and I say 7, you would say, you know, and then you have your running pass, which is normally a color. Um, and that's because, and that's for, you know, if you have, if we're room clearing or something like that, um, or we're at a patrol base, if you've got to get in here right now, there's no time to do all of this because you're running from some sort of danger. I just run towards you, run past you yelling, you know, green, 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 green. And hopefully you don't shoot me. That's yeah, that's good too. <laughs> and you know, one of the things that's that we train, that is we, we trained doing a challenge and password and, you know, say you're coming back into camp from a recce and, uh, you know, you, you reach, uh, your camp sentry and, you know, they, they issue you a challenge and they know who you are. They've seen you before. You're, you're part of the unit. You're part of the team. They recognize you, but they still, you have this protocol in place. Uh, so they issue you a challenge and you intentionally give them the wrong password. That can be a sign, but you do it like you're giving them the right password. That can be like subtly communicating a sign of distress. Like, Hey, mm -hmm. we picked up a tail. Like something's wrong and we don't want to give it away. There's stuff like that you can do. Again, Absolutely. it all goes back to the realm of, you know, figure out how to do some of this stuff uh, and be creative with it and develop your own SOPs out of it. Good shit. Yeah, this it was is a good. podcast. It's, it's a lot, man. What was it? I look forward to re-listening to this oh. one. I, uh, surprisingly, I re, I, I listen to like all of them pretty much. <laughs> I don't know. I, I, um, I think it's kind of, I fun. did in the beginning too. But now that we're like past 15 podcasts, I kind of find myself being a little lazier with re-listening to every minute of every podcast. I know Civil doesn't do it because he has to listen to it like three or four times just to edit it. See, that's yeah, the thing. I, I, do don't... I, I, I want to get to the point where we cannot edit. I just hit play and here we go. There's, I just, I don't know. There's, there's a lot of, um, you know, I, I go in there and I cut out bunch of stuff and i move and i and I, I i try to make it seamless for the listeners so when i go through it i listen to it once cutting out overlapping talk and and then i go through it again and cut out all the long silences i and then you know i once i put it all together i'll uh kind of master the audio and then i'll listen to it in in the car and make sure the audio sounds good but there's some stuff like the conversation yeah, with anarcho bacon like during editing i'm not really focused on the content of the i'm just focusing on you know making it sound good and there, there's some of the stuff that we've done it's like i really want to go back and re-listen to what we just talked about so i can take notes on my own podcast like <laughs> like seriously like i i think i've done that <laughs> i did that with the anarcho bacon podcast and i was like I was like, this dude's just got so much information. He does, man. And I, only, I feel like we barely scratched the surface with that guy. I definitely want to get him back on. Oh, yeah, for sure. I think a lot of our guests are going to be recurring guests because it's uh, it, it's it's too much to even cover in two hours a lot of the times. So there's just so much to talk right. about. And this is a hefty topic, too. You know, I mean, we, we've, we've touched on a bunch of stuff tonight. And this is just, you know, really kind of shooting from the hip, spitballing conversation. But. I mean, oh, we, yeah, we could structure this conversation and go into depth and lose everybody. <laughs> <laughs> uh, man, I actually met up with a guy uh, last week in my local area who found the podcast, found my Instagram page, and um, he saw some pictures of me at the Let the Local Range. And he was like, yo, dude, 
I shoot there. Can, you know, can we meet up sometime? And I was like, yeah, you know, I'm always open, like meeting up like with, with new guys. And uh, I met up with him. He's a cool dude. And he was telling me about how he's listened to like all the podcast episodes. And, and he That's was awesome, uh, man. And he was like, dude, yeah, he was like, dude, you guys, I love your podcast, but man, I, it's, it's a lot of it just still goes like right over my head. And I'm just like, dude, I, it's, it's okay. I told him, it's like, it's, it's, we try to simplify it as much as possible, but there's just some things that, you know, um, it, if you don't know what flour is, you're not going to bake a cake. It doesn't, you know, it doesn't matter if you got the recipe sitting right in front of you. If you've never heard of what flour is, no cake is coming That's out of a good it. Point. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, I feel like we could do better. So we it's just, like we, we really naturally have a conversation on a level that we're comfortable discussing these terms and ideas and science topics that we are all familiar with. I feel like we could probably do better. And yeah, we probably could. And sometimes we do, you know, we'll catch ourselves. We'll, uh, we'll throw in some quick definitions of, uh, of some terminology and stuff. And, um, you know, it also just comes down to, um, you know, after the fact, like after the podcast and, uh, the DMS, my Instagram DMS, you know, I, I said it earlier, my DMS are always open. Shoot me a message. I respond to basically everybody as fast as I can. I, I try to same, same. I try to, I try to be out there and, and answer as many questions as I can, but I will tell you this. I'll answer your questions, but I'm also going to give you homework to do because mm-hmm. yes, there's same. something about going and discovering this stuff for yourself that makes you, that helps you retain it and understand it better than somebody just giving oh, yeah. you an answer. So, you know, yeah. like I'll, I'll help you, but I'll send- I'm going to give you a laundry list of topics to go research. Honestly, bringing comms and logistics up again. Uh, shout out to him, I guess, again, uh, I will literally tell people to go to his Instagram page. He doesn't have that many posts. I think he's got like 25 posts and it's very easily easy to digest information. And I will tell people go to his page, started his first post and just read everything from the up, up from there. It won't take you very long. Flip through all the slides and read everything. And from there, honestly, if you do that, you will have a pretty decent grasp on a lot of subjects that then you could go to Google and deep dive a little farther if you wanted to. And I've done that on his page, to be honest with you. Dude, I still go back to his page. I'll be like, I'll be like, huh, thinking about a thing. I'll be like, I'll go to, you know, comms and logistics page real quick. And, oh, there's that post and pull it up. If you're in Telegram, comms and logistics has a Telegram page with all those slideshows that he has in Instagram. So you can go in there and forward those slides, those posts to your group. And uh, ah, you know, we, we have Telegram chats here locally. And uh, um, I'm not sure how updated he keeps them, but I think they're all there. I mean, it's a resource, you know. Actually, I might be in. I'm never on. I have Telegram, but I'm never on. Telegram is the way. Just basic GM stuff. Tell- Oh, I am in it. Telegram has really it. good GM features. Oh yeah, he's got everything on here. Yeah, he's on. What, what, what's GM features? I'm I'm unfamiliar with that. Just group message. Group message. Okay, there you go. Uh, oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. What I like about <laughs> Telegram for for our local chat, uh, some of the guys will set it up where like 
uh, this message is going to delete itself after one hour. So yeah, you know, we have we, we have we auto delete features turned in. Yeah, there's there's safety features built in, and the cool thing about it, it's not hosted on a server. It's end to end, so you know, mm. I can delete a message that I send you, and it deletes it for you too. Imagine mm. that. <laughs> yeah, nothing Privacy. is completely secure, but Telegram is pretty good. It's yeah, it's better than iMessage. <laughs> Well, guys, I really appreciate you guys bringing me on. I'm glad that I was able to come on. Yeah, we're glad to have you, man. Yeah, that was good a conversation. Good. Uh, tell us a little bit. Tell us where yeah, we can find you. Well, uh, there are two primary ways to find me. You can find me on Instagram, uh, Jeremy underscore ECT underscore IG. Uh, that's where I post a pretty diverse amount of stuff. You know, homesteading, small unit tactics stuff. A very small amount of com stuff. Um, you know, if you're just looking for just diverse content, that's where to go. Uh, for the business side, you can go to uh, Everyday Citizen Tactical dot LLC, and I think it's also dot IG. That's where I post more of the business stuff, class updates, products. You know, our big thing is medical. Um, our biggest product is the Trauma IFAC, and then we also post some more basic. You know, kind of educational stuff there. Um, it's not necessarily as tailored to like the tactical community group style stuff as it is just like general medical and CCW and stuff like that. But those are the two ways you can find me. Uh, and then also on Instagram, very big plethora of videos on Instagram as well. Awesome. Awesome. Thanks again for coming on, man. Appreciate the conversation. Thank you guys for having me. Yeah, absolutely. Well, guys, another one in the bag. I'll see you again soon. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Good night, everybody. Adios. Thank you.